Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Amanda Bible Williams. And I'm your other host, Rachel Myers. Guys, this is the last week of our Genesis study. We're closing it out. You know who's here with us. Week two of Kelly Minter. Amanda, this is going to be a great episode. We loved talking with Kelly. We just all, as soon as we hit stop when we were recording, we just looked at each other and said, this was so encouraging. We love talking scripture with this woman. Can't wait for you to hear the second part of our conversation. Let's go. Kelly, you have been in this story for how long now? The story of Joseph. Well, I've been teaching on it for at least a couple of years and then really, really in it, writing about it the last several months. So I don't know exactly, but it's a pretty deep dive into Genesis 37 through 50. And you have been deep diving into the story of Joseph yes. and writing a cookbook. Yes. And they, they don't overlap at all. So just yeah. in case anybody was wondering, like, <laughs> wh- how does Joseph's story overlap with a cookbook? They they don't. Very little. And I was having to jump back and forth between, you know, like butternut, bisque, squash, soup kind of thing. Uh-huh. And what does the word dungeon really mean in, you know, what was Joseph really thrown into exactly? What what kind of a pit was that? I, I'm or, drawing a Or what kind of a prison here. was that? I, I want to say there was a famine in, oh, in Joseph's oh, yes. story. Yes. And we did have a baker and a cupbearer. There we go. So there's food. There's a little bit, yes. And there was some feasting <laughs> that does happen. There's a there's a table of feasting that we'll get to and the that where some restoration and reconciliation happens. Yeah. Okay. So... Yes, and this is a community-based cookbook. So I okay. So thank can, you. You've 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 really drawn a hard. You've line. created a collection for us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes. Did yes. you have the same editor for both? Oh no, totally, okay. completely different. Yes, and okay. just the whole thing was was different. But okay. but still the heart of God, which that is, and really truly not making light of it. There really are moments of food and the importance of food and the famine and the you know lots of different things that actually do play. A role in this. So, but that's about it. Well, when we do our beauty, goodness, and truth moments at the end of each podcast episode, nine times out of 10, there's food involved. Well, so to say that food is close to the heart of God. And those nine times are always me saying, mentioning food. (laughs) (laughs) What food are we talking about today, Rachel? And is the 10th thing coffee? Because usually it's Yeah. yeah, fabulous. Or curling irons. You never know. Okay. So where we began here, Kelly, you have been in the story of Joseph for a long time, and I want to talk about it. This is what we're reading as a She Reads Truth community this week. We started Joseph's story last week, just kind of right at the tail end of the week. We read about him being sold into slavery. Uh Very much a cliffhanger where he's just like, okay, here here I am. Yes, and so you're right, 37 to 50. I might have said but we're picking up at 39. Exactly. And you're right. And it is kind of strange because there's really just one chapter on Joseph where he gets the dreams and then he's thrown in the pit and he's sold into slavery. And then there's this break with Judah and Tamar. And now we pick up, we're back to Joseph. And I, I really think that the top is very, very important because we talked last week about the idea that when it says that Joseph had been taken to Egypt, so he left Canaan, he had been sold into slavery, he's in Pharaoh's house, there is no possible way that that you can think anything other than God has lost control of Joseph's story or God has taken his hands off the wheel. It just verse one of chapter 39. Mm-hmm. It's hard for anybody to think anything different than because think about Egypt too. This is not just that he was kind of 
like he got moved over from St. Louis to Oklahoma City or he goes from the land of promise to a completely foreign land that does not serve the one true God, that is full of idolatry. So we're not even in the ballpark of how any of this could be good. And yet, look what verse two. Verse Wait, two. I'm reading verse one. Oh, read verse one. Okay, read it. Now, Joseph, this is from the ESV. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian who had bought him from the Ishmaelites, brought him down there. He's really sold twice. He sold once to the Ishmaelites, and then he sold again to Potiphar's house. And yeah, there's there's nothing about this that seems hopeful. And then what does the author tell us? Verse two. Verse two. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Those are going to be the five words that carry this story. Yeah. And that to me, I mean, even if we stopped right there is so comforting because that means that somehow the Lord actually traveled with Joseph from Canaan Mm -hmm. to Egypt, that the Lord was present. And yet, isn't it so fascinating that the land of promise is, you know, you guys can't see me. I got my hand wet. Land of promise is far North, but the presence of God is even more meaningful than Place than the of, piece God. of land. Yes, then then the, the, the place. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that so the Lord's with him, which is amazing. And God does make him uh, successful. And we see that the author says it twice. And I know you you guys know this as you're studying your Bible, but the Lord was with him. And then verse three, the Lord was with him. That when the author is going to tell us something twice, mm-hmm. especially that close, he, he didn't just forget that he no. had just said it. He's repeating it because he wants us to sit up in our seats and go to everything that we think. So the, the, the circumstances say everything but this, and yet I want you to know very clearly that Jesus, or God, mm-hmm. I should say, we're not mm-hmm. quite to Jesus yet, <laughs> that God was with him. And it's worth noting, there's no but in there. There's not like, here's the situation, yes. but God was with right. Joseph. They're parallel. It's a full statement. Yes. This was the, the dire circumstance, period. The Lord was with Joseph. I love that they're you pointed both, that out. Yeah. There's no little conjunction Mm-mm. there no, or any qualifier. True. Yes, at the same time. Right, yeah. And then it goes straight into, you know, Potiphar's wife. Right. You know Potiphar's wife. <laughs> you know Potiphar's wife. And yes. if you don't know her, you're about to get to <laughs> yes, know her when you yeah. read this this week. But then I point that out because... After that, you know, she tries to seduce him. He refuses. She sets him up. He gets thrown in prison. And then verse 21. But here there is a but. Oh, sure. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Isn't it so fascinating, that whole section, though? Because look at the ups and downs of Joseph's life. He gets the dream. Oh, good. Okay. Then he's completely betrayed and he sold into slavery. Oh, but then the Lord was kind to him and he exalts Yay. him up in Pharaoh's house. And then you see, oh, then oh. Potiphar's wife is seducing him. And we we can go really quickly over this. And yeah. I don't know if you all grew up in Sunday school with like the flannel graph of like Potiphar's wife. Oh. Sedu- I had the, whole, the flannel graph lady came to our elementary school. Oh, yes, she like, did. Because I grew up in East Tennessee and she we called her the Bible lady and oh. she had a flannel graph and she would come to the library and she would tell us Bible stories. And this is one. Public and school. I found... Flannel graph. I, there's a digital copy of the, and so I went back and looked at it. What and it's fabulous. But we, that's what we have in our mind. Yeah. But think about this. He's young. The scripture actually tells us that he's really attractive. So the author puts us in this. He's completely out there on his own. He's in a ton of pain. He's cut off from his beloved father, all of his family members. You cannot think of a more vulnerable person who could be 
vulnerable to an affair. His like mother this. has died. His mother has died. That's another great point. And think about how he could have justified this. Mm-hmm. Well, and who knows if Potiphar was around? I mean, we don't know what her situation was. They could have tried to have justified this if ever sure. there was a place where you could justify. And yet Joseph says, oh, no, no, Mm-mm. I cannot sin against God. And then he runs out of the space. And I always like that, too, because sometimes I think when I'm in a place of temptation, I'm like, Lord, well, if this is really wrong, then maybe an angel needs to appear. Or maybe you <laughs> could like, But it's like, no, the way of out, the way out was him running away. He ran away. But what really moves me about this is that I grew up in Sunday school and it's like, okay, if you obey, then you're blessed and things turn out and there's this linear thing. And so you're waiting for, oh, well, he was faithful and he did the right thing and he stood up for the Lord. So he is going to be blessed. And then what does it say? He goes even lower than he's ever been. Now, not only has he gone down to Egypt, but now he's going down into this place of confinement, this prison. And this is so not Sunday school linear for me. I'm waiting for him to be blessed. And yet, and you already brought it up, verse 21, and the Lord was with him still. God was with, God was still there. But also, and and extended kindness to him, which I don't know how, if you all are as cynical as I am, but I'm like, Lord, if you're going to go to all the trouble to extend kindness to him, why don't you just be kind and get him out? Yeah. Right? You know, because think of, I mean, he's in, he's in a pit or this this place of confinement and it deliberately says that the Lord showed kindness, but I'm like, Lord, that that's a lot of trouble. You could just be kind and yeah. rescue him. And yet we see that suffering and blessing are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And they're existing together. My mm-hmm. translation, ESV says in verse oh, chapter yeah, tw- chapter 39, verse 21 says, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. Mm. Showed him steadfast love. Love that. Love that. He had not left him. Another thing that was really in interesting to me in this little section, in the Potiphar's wife section, you brought it up. Kelly, you said, you know, I I would not sin against God. And I thought that can't possibly be the language that he used. And so I went and looked and indeed in verse nine, he says, you know, to Potiphar's wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and Mm -hmm. sin against God? Mm -hmm. The interesting thing here to me is that there was no 10 commandments. There was no thou shalt not commit adultery. His instinct was to honor God yes, and to be holy like God is holy. Mm -hmm. That was his I guess, Kelly, help me understand that. Well, I think that, again, and I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it still was after Genesis 12. Sure. So we still had God coming to Abraham in a very profound way, God coming to Isaac, God coming to Jacob. So there were still some very significant moments. There was a covenant promise, even his own birth if he knew his own story, which I have to believe he did, have to was a miracle. The Lord has taken away my disgrace by, so... We wouldn't know his story if he didn't know his story. That's a great point. So yes, there was, you're exactly right. There was no Mosaic law at this point, but there was still covenant God. I mean, it's not like we're quite in even Noah's time. You know, right. This is, it's a good question to ask because you, you want to go like, oh, obviously he wouldn't commit adultery. No, I love that you brought that up mm-hmm. because you're right. He didn't have, you know these New Testament scriptures or even Old Testament scriptures, but there still was God's presence in a pretty distinct way. Yes. But, you're, but you're exactly right. Like, how did he know? Mm-hmm. But he did uh, somehow from, I think, from the covenant. I really do. I, I think, think right. just that involvement mm-hmm. of God in their, in their place. But that, 
that uh, steadfast love or kindness to him, uh, that is very encouraging to me because I always just want the Lord to show me kindness and solve my problem. Right. I want the kindness to, to look a specific way. Yes. I'd like to define this, please. Yes. Yeah. It's not always as fun when it's, hey, I'm going to keep you where you are at and I'm going to show you profound kindness. But what I take, I take such courage from this. And I said it earlier is that we think blessing means no suffering. Right. We think they are mutually exclusive, and that is not at all the case. We see the presence and blessing of God precisely in, mm-hmm. in the suffering. And there is a specific type of kindness and a specific type of blessing that yes. I think actually only happens in I, our suffering. Yes. Because the yes. second half of that actual sentence isn't, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and got him out of prison. No. The second half of that sentence is, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. In the same place. You're going to stay there. Yes. I'm with you. Yes. And God was, I believe that God was preparing him. And in fact, this passage is, there is the psalmist speaks of this and I'd have to find it, but the psalmist looks back on Joseph's story and Mm -hmm. he gives us insight into what is going on here. And he talks about the fact that God was proving Joseph. He was testing Joseph, not in the sense of like, I'm going to give you a test and see if you pass the test, but as, as you are testing gold and putting it through a refiner's fire and you are purifying it. Okay. Actually we found it. It's Psalm 105 and it's verses 17 through 19. And the CSB says, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with shackles. His neck was put in an iron collar until the time his prediction came true. The word of the Lord tested him. I think that prediction refers to those dreams that God had this ultimate purpose for him. But until that time, the Lord was testing him. But again, it's not that test. Not that a pass fail. pass fail, but this, this refiner's fire, this sanctifying And Charles Spurgeon says that this was a trying word. He said there's a trying word and a delivering word. And and Joseph was waiting for that delivering word, which was going to come. But he said, right now, this is the trying word. But I love this because God was still working in Joseph's life. He was was purging him. He was refining him. And he was making him ready. We know, spoiler alert, he's going to be second in command. So his heart has to be ready for those dreams that that are about to come true. And look at how... And even for Pharaoh's dreams that are going to come for him to interpret those. Oh. He can't just do that in his own in his own might. No, and look at, what, look at where he gets his practice. See, it says that he was assigned. This is chapter 40, verse 4. It says the captain of the guards assigned Joseph. Joseph was assigned to these two people. It's the cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh. So think about what's happening here. Pharaoh gets upset with the baker and the cupbearer. He throws them in the same place that Joseph is. Joseph is found favor with the Lord. So he's kind of over some of the prisoners. He gets assigned to these two. And then this always just completely blows me away. In verse six, when Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they looked distraught or sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad? And I always think, okay, Lord, when I'm sad, I don't really care who else is sad. I mean, he's in a bad spot. I mean, really bad spot. And yet he is so somehow filled with the living God that he sees these two men that are distraught and he goes, Hey, you guys look really sad today. 
Why? And also to spot sadness in prison. Like, it doesn't seem like it would be an exception. That's true. Like, everybody, right. Everybody he saw something. But in he them was that, leaning yes, into that. He was. And then what we know what ends up happening, they say, well, yeah, we've had these really, you know, disturbing dreams. And, and then at the end of verse eight, Joseph said to them, don't interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. And we see Joseph almost acting like a priest here. It's sort of like God can interpret this, tell them to me. And, and we're going to find out now it's going to take a few years, but we're going to find out that the fact that he ministered in his suffering mm-hmm. and in this mm-hmm. place is what's going to get him out because then it's going to be a few years later mm-hmm. that the cupbearer says to Pharaoh, when Pharaoh has these dreams and right. can't find anybody, he goes, oh yeah, there was this Hebrew there was this slave, guy. there was this guy. But look back or look forward, I'm sorry, at verse 23 of chapter 40. Yep. This is after Joseph yes. is pleading with the cupbearer, don't forget me. Right. I've done nothing wrong to be here. Please put in a good word for me. I've been only good to you. I've been only good to you. Yet the chief cupbearer <laughs> did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. So going back to chapter 39, verse 21, that says, but the Lord showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in, with the keeper of the prison. So we're going like, oh, so the favor was it. Let's get you out of here. And then in chapter 40, verse 4, they continued for some time in custody. Yes. It, like over and over, like these time gaps of like, and then even more time passed. And then and even, even more. more. And mm-hmm. the Lord was showing steadfast love to Joseph. The whole time, even in the forgetting. He was forgotten. He was forgot- forgotten, which is such an important theme because isn't that when we feel forgotten, that yes. is some of the most isolating of our pain and where we can think, well, this person forgot me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure God has also forgotten me. I mean, there's just so much isolation here. And yet God has not forgotten anything. And at the very top of 41, at the end of two years. So here's another time right. gap. So, ESV and we don't, says two whole years. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, does it? Yeah. <laughs> so we don't, and we don't get anything from those two years, except yeah. maybe, you know, going back to the Psalm that you connected for us. Kelly, the Lord to, is the, preparing him, mm-hmm. yeah, testing yeah. him, yeah. making him ready. And it reminds me too of Romans 8 of like, you know, what can separate me even, mm-hmm. you know, even in the depths you are there. Yes. Is that Romans 8? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah well, just, yeah. yes, even uh, nothing can separate us right from the right. love of God. Right. Uh, neither things past or, 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 or uh, present, future. Yes. And what I love about this, and this is really important for us, is that I think for me, anyhow, sometimes when things are difficult and I'm struggling and the Lord hasn't answered a certain prayer or he, I feel like he's left me in a place of discomfort, the last thing I want to do is go serve people. I can become so self-centered and so myopic, and yet it is always in the serving. That is the blessing. And some of our best ministry can happen in the middle of our suffering. And we see that. Joseph was suffering, but some of his best ministry opportunity was right there to interpret these men's dreams. And then ultimately this is what's going to get him out. And I think that's really important because sometimes when we are in a hard place, we're especially dependent on the Lord. And that's the time that we actually do need to push out. We do need to to serve. And I'm not saying that there are some times where we, we have to conserve and we have to pull in. But, but generally speaking, I think it's just really powerful here that there was this awesome ministry for Joseph mm-hmm. in the middle of a really hard time. It's that Esther moment of, you know, could it be that the Lord has placed me here for such a time as this? Yes. But yeah, that's not, and it's not to the exclusion of, or 
the it doesn't erase the the circumstance or the place or the suffering. Not at all. It's an and. Yes. You know, and it's a, for such a time of this, as this. But I feel like sometimes we can wield that verse in a way, in such a way that that overlooks or negates mm-hmm. the circumstance. Yes. No, you're when right. When it's not like what you pointed out earlier, Rachel, mm-hmm. it's not, it's, it's an and. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it's not, uh, Romans, Romans 8 is lovely. The believer's triumph is one of our favorite passages, but this was Psalm 139. Where can I escape from your spirit? Oh, yeah. okay. Yes. Seven and eight. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And that's what this reminds me of, of where Joseph was. Like he wasn't, you know, he went to the godless land and then to the dungeon in the godless land. And he right. was there yes. for at least two years, we can tell from the mm-hmm. way the scripture presents it. And we don't know much about what happened in there, but we know God was with him. Yes. And we know that he had relationships with these men. Yes. Amanda, it makes me think of our second Advent episode where at the very end we read the Spurgeon sermon, the Spurgeon mm-hmm. Christmas sermon. Yeah, it does. It and, is connected. And, and Spurgeon says, you know, if I go, you know, to the heights, to the mountain heights, I can say, Emmanuel, God with us. If I go to the depths of the sea, mm. because I am in Christ, I can say, mm. Emmanuel, God is yeah. with me. And, and that's what's happening here with that's Joseph. Right. Like mm-hmm. that description of Joseph's situation and the Lord was with him. The Lord was with God him. God with us. Yes. It is God's presence that changes everything for Joseph. It's not being separated from the Lord that changes us and brings us back to him. He is with us even when we are not where we want to be. Yes, absolutely. And we're going to see God with him in prison and God with him in palace Mm -hmm. because it's two years later that Pharaoh who's ruling, very powerful, and he gets these disturbing dreams that he cannot make any sense of. And who does he call? He calls all the wise men. He calls, you know, the scientists, the magicians, everybody that typically can do this. And he can find no one that can interpret his dreams. And we see in chapter 41, verse 9, the cupbearer gets pulled in and he says, today I have remembered my faults. And you're like, wish you could have remembered your fault two years ago, you know, (laughs) right when you... but. Because Joseph was take there. Take your time. Yeah, take, take your, your time. time. But this was the timing. And he tells him, he tells Pharaoh about this Hebrew. And remember, too, that the Hebrews were detestable to the Egyptians. Mm-hmm. So there is really no one lower than Joseph right now. He's a slave. He's young. He's not as young as he was, but he's young. And he's a Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So you can't really go lower. And he's a prisoner than where he is. And this has always been so meaningful to me. This is verse... 15 suggests, I've had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said about you that you hear a dream and interpret it. Verse 16, I am not able to, Joseph answered Pharaoh. It is God who will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. What I love about this though, is Pharaoh has turned to every possible resource that he has, every connection, every powerful person. He has all the money in the world. There's nothing that Pharaoh does not have access to. And yet he says, no one. Oh, but there's this guy with no status, no wealth, no power, not even from the right nation. And, you know, I I get to travel to the Amazon jungle a lot and work with jungle pastors there and they're dirt poor. Nobody knows who these men and women are that are deep in the jungle. And yet the spirit of God is in them. And we see that later on in the chapter, Pharaoh recognizes, he said, I've never met anybody like this. We're like the spirit of God is in this guy. And it really resonated with me when I was 
with these jungle pastors because I thought, oh, yeah, the world doesn't see anything about them as having anything. And yet it is so, so evident that when you are there, that the spirit of God is in them. And then as a result, they have everything and they have what this world needs. And we have the spirit of God and what the world needs. And I, I just think that's such a, mm-hmm. a stark picture because there was nothing that Pharaoh lacked. Yeah. But the spirit of God. Yeah. yeah. And it was going to be Joseph that was going to bring that to his way. So, of course, we know that Joseph does interpret these dreams. And you got to read about that. And and he comes up with a plan, not even thinking that, you know, anything's going to happen with this plan. But he comes up with this plan. And then that's when Pharaoh says, and this is all the way down in verse 38, where Pharaoh says, can we find anyone like this man, a man who has God's spirit in him? And then that's when Pharaoh makes him second in command. And it all happened that fast. And wow. that's the thing. We just don't know when the end, when that delivering word, like Spurgeon said, when is the delivering word going to come? But it came in an instant. Yeah. I mean, they ripped him out of that place, shaved him, gave him new clothes. And then the next minute he's shower. got a robe, he's got the signet ring, yeah, shower. <laughs> I mean, everything about his life changes wow. at that point. And, and, you know, you had said, Amanda, we just don't know that sanctifying process, you know, or you talked about that. We don't really know all that happened, but somehow he had come through mm-hmm. and it was time. Hey guys, it's Hannah from She Reads Truth. The season of Lent is just around the corner, but thankfully it's not too late to purchase this year's collection. You've got until February 12th to order for guaranteed on-time delivery. Plus, I have good news. We are giving our podcast listeners an exclusive code for 15% off all Lent products when you use the code LENT15. Head on over to shopshereadstruth.com to order today. And it's good that we don't know the sanctifying process. Mm-hmm. It's good that, that Joseph didn't know, okay, like I know that there are 30 days left. You know, right. It's yes. good that he wasn't like, I know the Lord's plans. God says that I know the plans, but Joseph didn't know. Right. And it's good that we don't know because then our hope would be in the in end. The our hope would be in the outcome, not in the one who is with us mm-hmm. in the valley. Mm-hmm. Well, and mm-hmm. the truth is that even when you reach, you know, the end of a period in the valley, the mountain has its own challenges yeah. and its yes. own sanctifying, yes. you know, processes. And the Lord tests us in, in other ways and refines us in other ways. And so it's not... Which we find in Joseph's story. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love it that is, you're saying It that. is very much hills and valleys. There's no finish line until eternity. Right. And there, and even he says, I love that you guys brought that up because in, in chapter 41, 35, when he's thinking through all of this... He says, let them gather all the excess food during these good years. The good years. That are come the good years. And I've got that circled in my Bible because I thought, Lord, just as you want me to be faithful in the hard years, you also want me to be faithful in the good years. Yes. And sometimes it's harder to be faithful in the good years because, because that's when we don't need him as much. Well, you're we not, don't think you're we not aware of your need. I mean, there's when you were talking about that, uh, Kelly, about the period of, you know, when you're in a, a season of suffering and you can push out and minister in a different mm-hmm. ways because you're being ministered to by the Lord in a different yes. way. There is a freedom there that is, it feels counterintuitive to even try to describe mm-hmm. it, but because I'm not sure what the right language is to use, but there's a freedom in being so well acquainted with your lack that <laughs> you know where, yes. 
your abundance comes from. Like when you're just Mm -hmm. wrung out and you don't have anything else left to give, then it's really clear who's doing the giving. Like, like Joseph is like, well, I I can't interpret this, but God can. Yeah. I love that. Well acquainted with your lack Lack. is it? That's a great, that's a great. And when you're and so when, but then when you turn that, that up curve and you're back up on the hill it's harder to see it. Yes. And you're in your chariot and you're cruising across the plains and you've got all this power in the ring Mm. and the robe. And then, but we do see that Joseph is going to be faithful in both. And I think that, I think a lot of times we think, Oh Lord, if you would just get me in the palace, I'd be so faithful to you. And it's like, no, if you're not going to be faithful in the prison, Mm. you're probably not going to be fit. And I'd say that to myself, if I'm not faithful in the hard times, I'm not going to be faithful Mm-mm. in the good times. Well, and we see that collateral all around us in our culture mm. of the people who, who aren't faithful in the palace. And that's, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, it's always been, I mean, Rachel and I aren't in a palace, but having, stewarding a, a ministry um, oh, yeah. and platform like She Reads Truth, mm-hmm. we were told early on and have always kept it close to heart that the thing that poses the greatest threat to our people, our community. Mm -hmm. It's not the words that we say, it's the lives that we live. Like, Mm -hmm. are we going to live consecrated lives? And Mm -hmm. that is, that is a hard thing to do wherever you are. Mm -hmm. But I think we see that in church culture and it's, you know, and it's not like, yeah, yes, for being faithful. It's like Mm -hmm. a no, this is very Sobering. sobering to see people who also were once faithful fall. And to know that it really, I mean, gosh, we said it last week. I'll say it again this week. It comes back to coming back to the word and coming back to Mm -hmm. the source Mm -hmm. and to truth. Absolutely. And you see, it's all really about serving. Joseph is serving in the dungeon. And then when he has all of this power and and, and wealth, he is thinking, okay, we better store up during these good years because there's going to be a time when the bad years are here and we want to be in a place to serve. Yeah. And it's all that never, the mandate never changes. And I have that good year circled because I, it's that same idea that you just said, Lord, anything good, my health, any blessings that you've given, help me steward that for others because our life is so short. And that is really so fulfilling to know that we are being part of God's whole plan. And isn't this amazing that again, Joseph just could not have possibly understood what was happening. But after these good years, in fact, they said it was so good that they couldn't even count the grain. Wow. You know, it's like who, who has so much money that they can't even count it. Can't even keep track. (laughs) Just, I don't even know. I've got these bank accounts that I forgot about, you know, but (laughs) so it's so much grain that they didn't even know what to do with it. But then when the famine hits, it wasn't just didn't just hit Egypt. What does it do? It hits the surrounding regions. And so what does that do? That fishes out his brothers. After all of this time, the narrator goes back to Canaan. They're the brothers and they're still kind of lame because they're talking to Jacob and he's like, are you going to just stand here and not do anything? You know, and they knew that they had to go to Egypt to see to hope that someone would give grace for a bailout. Gra- yes. And in fact, uh, there's some important passages here that I think are, are worth noting. So after this is, uh, let's see, this is verse three of 42. It says, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt, but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother, Benjamin with his brothers for he thought something might happen to him. So we just pause there for a second so there's 12 sons, as you guys depicted so beautifully in the She Reads Truth Genesis download. You see those 10 sons. You've got, there's 12. You've got one Joseph that's in Egypt. 
you've got 11 who in is Canaan, dead, dead to Jacob, totally dead. He doesn't, yeah, he has no idea that he's alive, but there's no way he's sending Benjamin because that's the last one of, Ra- he only has two with Rachel. So he holds him back. So it's Leah's and the maidservants, two maidservant sons, they all go. And of course there are a number of exchanges over these next several chapters. They brothers go back and forth, but how incredible here that God had this whole plan that he was going to bless this nation. So there was no way that Jacob's sons were all going to die in a famine. But he had to send Joseph ahead to help spare this nation. And can you imagine what it must have been like when all of a sudden Joseph sees his brothers Mm -hmm. coming for the very first time and all of a sudden for him to go, oh, okay, so that dream that the Lord gave me, he really has been faithful. But what we know is that what Joseph, who Joseph really wants to see is his father. So but let's, that happens. Yeah. Let's talk chapters. about those dreams. So let's Kelly spell out to us the, the dreams that he had when he was still living in Canaan, still with his brothers and with, mm-hmm. with Jacob, he had a couple of dreams. Yes. And they both essentially point to the same thing, but there's this, and it's, the language is so funny because there's this sheaf Mm-hmm. of like who uses that term, but Joseph. This, yes, Joseph, mm-hmm. this sheaf of wheat, I suppose. And then the other sheaves were bowing down to him, representing yeah. his father, the brothers. Mm-hmm. And so he knows that at some point, and I'm glad you brought that up, that at some point in his life, this is going to happen. But I think at that moment when he was 17, I think he thought it was going to happen in maybe like four and a half weeks right. or something. <laughs> Had no idea that there would be like two decades that would pass and that he would leave. And let's not forget, Joseph leaves Canaan forever. When he gets trafficked out of the land of promise, and we'll talk about this in a minute, hopefully, only his bones go back. He yeah. never goes back. Yeah. And everybody comes to him. And again, we begin to see God working out this amazing plan. So those dreams, though, there's in chapter 37, there's the dream of the sheaths. And isn't there also like the sun, moon and stars? I I quote it like I'm quoting. I was in high school. I was in Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. So I can only. That is so. I can't quote the scripture, but I can quote the song. (laughs) No, you're exactly right. And it's it's out of it's chapter 37, verse nine. And he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun, moon, 11 stars were bowing down to me. Essentially, both dreams represent very much the same thing. And then that doesn't come true simply metaphorically. That comes actually true. They they come into the palace and they bow to him, not knowing who he is, but he, like the significance, the weight of that moment is not lost on him. No, but it's not the fulfillment of the dream here yet. But you're right. The weight isn't lost because clearly he's like, okay, wait. Hey-o. This is, we're real close. I think Joseph said hey-o. Probably. (laughs) He did, did, more than likely in Hebrew. Probably so. In in Hebrew. Yeah, of course. Of course. How does one say hey-o in Hebrew? I don't know. Maybe it just is universal and it transcends languages. I like that. Just that, Yeah. But he knows, wait, okay, this isn't the fulfillment of the dream because only 10 brothers are here and his father's not here, but it's close. Yep. Close enough where I think you go, okay, wow. What's happening? God's onto something. We're onto something here. This might actually be happening. And then, of course, if you go all the way to chapter 43, and you guys read about it, there's a lot of back and forth. and, and, And then sometimes it actually, people read it and they think, wow, Joseph feels mean. He feels harsh. There are different scholars with different opinions. I I really believe that Joseph was acting out of grace and love, but he also had to vet, have my brothers changed? Yeah. Because he's, they're coming back into Mm -hmm. his country and he has to know who are they now? Can I trust them? 
I really believe that everything he does is born out of compassion and love because we're going to see here in a moment. I mean, he breaks down weeping when he sees Benjamin, but this is really, this is where the fulfillment of the dream comes. He really wants them to bring Benjamin and this is, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, there is probably no spiritual significance to this, but I just can't help but notice that there's a moment that kind of kicks back to his mom here because she does steal something. And hides it. Yes. She steals the, the false gods and hides mm-hmm. it. There's probably no spiritual significance here, but I just can't help but notice that he hides the silver cup in Benjamin's bag as if to uncover some sort of, you know, plot. And he actually finds it, but it's the opposite. It's the opposite because Rachel truly did steal it and was not found out. Yes. Benjamin, Joseph plant. Well, Joseph plants that. Right. He yes. plants it. He plants it. In Benjamin's sack. So that Benjamin will have to come back. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that. There's probably no tie there. It's just interesting to me. But you bring up a really good point because when he plants that, then what happens, Benjamin comes back and they go, wait a minute, you cannot, you cannot keep Benjamin because my father is basically going to die, you know, but we're, we're still pre, we're still pre that. But that's a moment where Joseph sees that his brothers have a newfound loyalty. Yes, because... Their character has changed. Yes, because... Okay, so now we got to skip forward then. Yes, because in chapter 44, that is when Judah... We won't read it, but but all the way 18 through the end of that chapter, that's when Judah, of all people... I mean, we're talking Judah and Tamar. Judah, right. I mean, Judah stands up and says, wait, take me as the slave. Yeah. In fact, let me, let me actually read that. That's chapter 44, verse 33. Now, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. Do you see what's happening here? And then thir- 34, for how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. Well, that grief surely didn't bother him 20 years ago it when sure he you know, killed, quote unquote, killed Joseph or at least told his father that and saw that grief. So we do see, I'm really glad you said that because we see a significant change in Judah and now, and actually he's foreshadowing Christ here because what he's going to become the substitute. Mm -hmm. So he's saying, take me. I didn't steal the cup, yeah, but take me and punish me as though I were the one and let Benjamin and everybody else go free. And Judah, Jesus is going to come through that tribe and that line. So we get a very clear foreshadowing of Jesus and this substitution, which is awesome. And then at that moment, that's when Joseph breaks. He can't take it anymore. And I think he knows at that moment, got it. The work has been done. Beautiful. I'm so happy you pointed that out, Kelly, because I think that in this story, the connections we typically draw to Jesus are Joseph. Like, here are all the different ways Mm. that Jesus and Joseph are similar. But for you to draw the connection with Judah is really beautiful. I hadn't hadn't noticed that. Well, everything really changes here for Judah. He actually, in some ways, the spotlight starts to move over just a little bit. And we get into some prophecies. I think it's in chapter 49. Yeah, where Jacob is blessing all of the sons. And isn't it interesting? Verse 10, chapter Genesis 49, 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah or the staff from between his feet until he whose right it is comes and the obedience of the peoples belong to him. You have this real clear prophecy about this coming one, Jesus, but the scepter, the rule is not going to depart from Judah. You would think that it would be Joseph because of Joseph's goodness and righteousness and the way that he has suffered. Mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, in God's sovereignty, God chooses 
Judah as the tribe that he will come through. So the full verse 10, that full prophecy or blessing is, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. I don't know. That feels pretty big. That feels like a, yeah, there's something happening in the line of Judah. Yes, absolutely. And we are going to see that kind of from that moment on, you know, I don't want to miss too much, but from that moment on where Judah says, take me, and then Joseph reveals himself, the narration does start start to kind of turn a little bit where there's a lot more focus on Judah at that point. But I do think we can't skip chapter 45 because that's when he reveals himself And in verse two, he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Can you imagine? Is my father, because this whole time he's been saying, is your father still alive? Is your father still alive? Is my my father father still living? They could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. And I know... Um, Amanda, you talked about earlier, just because there's blessing in the middle of suffering and evil does not mean that suffering and evil aren't in existence or that they don't matter. He's weeping so loud that people in like other rooms and places can hear him because there is, you can just feel like this well of grief that just comes spilling out and of probably hope and gratefulness and restoration and and so much. And I, I think it's so important here because the brothers are terrified because they know, okay, we've been carrying around this sin all these years and he is going to come unglued on us. But what does he say in verse four? Please come near me, which also has to be a picture of Christ right. that they deserve the punishment. But he actually says, just please draw near to me. And then how can he even say these things? I am Joseph, your brother. And then verse five, and now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. And there, there it is. It's like the parallel track of they sold him and God sent him. And then verse eight. Right. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Right. Right. And not, and like we've said over and over again, not for just like, you know, a month, like this was a dramatic, I mean, this was the ultimate betrayal mm-hmm. by his brothers. Mm-hmm. Like what could they have done that would have been worse? And what and, and how much had they taken from him? Right. All those years of not being with his father, all those years of him not growing up in Canaan. And but, his but brother. we see that jo- yeah, and not yeah, not with Benjamin. And yet we see that Joseph understands something in verse seven. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And, and I am always so moved by that because Joseph, I believe that Joseph was able to move toward his brothers, forgive them, show them grace, bring reconciliation because he understood that God was in control and that God had a plan for him. And God, because he says, God, God sent me like, don't even give yourself that much credit. You guys, you yeah. know, God, God wanted to use me to save a whole remnant of people. And he, he didn't say it arrogantly, but it's like he understood that he had mm. so not been abandoned by God, that God had this for him. It makes me wonder all of the unrecorded years of, mm. you know, the two years in prison and, and the, just the, Seven the years amount of, of right. The amount of time that where yeah. we don't know, but it makes me wonder 
what the kindnesses that the Lord showed to Joseph and like, how did he know God's withness, I know, you know, I know, and nearness. And because when we were having the conversation earlier about God's kindness, where it says that, you know, but the Lord is with Joseph and show kindness to him and how we were talking about like to know that God is with us in those places. It makes me wonder if we underestimate the Lord's kindnesses, mm-hmm. that if there yes. are things that we just take as like, you know, coincidence or just the way things are, but they're truly just heaps and heaps of the Lord's kindnesses all around us. Yes. But it takes us being in a place where we can see those. Yes. And what it would be like to have eyes to see those all the time. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. And, and we don't always have these grand moments like Joseph right. had, but there were so many, like you said, little kindnesses, some written down, most not. Most not. That lead him here. And so here we are. Everybody's coming back to Egypt, and we mm-hmm. are getting the fulfillment of the dream. We are getting Joseph's family in Egypt, and it feels, it, it is the last chapter of Genesis. This is the moment where Joseph says, you know, you planned evil against me, but mm-hmm. God meant it for good for mm-hmm. the survival of many people. Yes. And it feels great. And we see this is kind of the conclusion of Joseph's story. And then you turn the page, and you look at the book of Exodus, mm-hmm chapter one, verse eight. And it says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did, did not, not know, know Joseph. Joseph. Right. And the next portion of the story goes, it's not the end of the story. Right. And it feels like, you know, okay. So the Lord preserved the people of Israel. He preserved, he kept his covenant from Genesis 12. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take you out away from Canaan mm-hmm. into Egypt so that you don't die of famine. Right. I'm going to save you and bring you here. And then you will become slaves. Right, but it's not even just accidental or sort of happenstance that that he brings them to Egypt because what ends up happening is they get planted in this place of Goshen, yep. which is this incredible land. And because the Egyptians hate the Hebrews, they want them as far away as possible. Mm-hmm. And so they actually begin to is the word proliferate into, they begin to grow into this great nation in a way that they could not have done in Canaan. Yep. And yet God had still promised that place to them. But here, even Jacob, and you know, we talked last week a lot about Jacob and really the story also falls back on Jacob, but finally Jacob and Joseph get reunited because we've only talked about the brothers being reunited, but finally Jacob comes and sees Joseph. And do you know that Jacob gets to the amount of time that he was away from Joseph, he gets to make up that same amount of time with Joseph in Egypt, which is really cool. I don't think I realized that. But what I what is so interesting is that this is such a rub and attention for Jacob because Jacob's even thinking, oh my goodness, like, right. how, how can I leave Canaan? How can it possibly be God's will that I would go to Egypt? Probably feels like a disobedience. Just totally. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we see the, the tension of him settling in Goshen and not even wanting to go. But then he sees that these caravans that Joseph has set and it's like, okay, well, I'm going to die here. I mean, he really has no choices. And his sons really are the ones that get him there. But again, I, I bring all that up because there just couldn't have felt, nothing about this could have felt like God's will for their life. Or tidy. Like this is not the tidy oh, ending. Oh goodness, that not we, at all. Or yeah. clear. No. Or clear. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet It's God, still the middle of the story. Right. And I think that's so hard to grasp is like mm-hmm. we are constantly in the middle of the story. Mm-hmm. We know the end of the story. It's, it's Revelation 21. We mm-hmm. talk about it every single episode, mm-hmm. but we're not there. Mm-hmm. So then we must still be in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so the tidy endings don't happen yet. Mm-hmm. And yet Joseph, though, he and Jacob both, 
they throw their lot in with the end of the story. And both of them say on their deathbed, bring my bones, yep. make sure I'm buried in Canaan. They know home. Because, yes. And that signified, like, what faith? Because I think if I was yeah. Joseph, I'd go, you know what? God, you didn't stop this all those years ago. And I have lived my whole life. I've had two sons. We didn't even get to talk about Manasseh and Ephraim and these two sons here. And I, he marries an Egyptian. He's his whole life. Why would he throw his lot back with like, but mm-hmm. make sure my bones go back to Canaan? Because he knew. Mm-hmm. He knew God's covenant. And he knew that God was somehow going to bring all of this together. And I think that's so fascinating because it's not until you get into Joshua that they actually bury Joseph, which means that they carry Joseph around all the 40 years in the desert. Every time that cloud would, or the fire would go and they'd move. It's like, okay, where's Joseph? Who's got Joseph's bones? You know, because they had to carry him all the way. Yeah. Right. And then, and then bury him. But there's something about him just yeah, it's looking like forward. A, it's like a final act of faith. Of yeah, like, there we go. Thank this you. This is where... A final act of yeah, faith. Yeah. This is where I'm... God is know, faithful. Staking my, my flag, mm-hmm. planting my flag in the ground. Uh-huh. I have found mm-hmm. him faithful, and even though I will not get to see the promises, I will make sure that my bones are there, which is so interesting that that is how the whole thing of Genesis, they embalmed him and they placed him in a coffin in Egypt. Happy ending, right. Genesis. But it is, it's such a faith ending mm-hmm. of the chapter, which, which means I love. the site of Joseph's resurrection, the site of Jacob's resurrection will be in the promised land. It's just, yeah. Beautiful. It's so, crazy. It's so, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> not a, not, not bad crazy. It's just true, crazy, Amanda. crazy, true crazy. Yeah, I, I also, I did just want to say that there's, there's another really cool thing when we're talking about God in control of this story and. Jacob didn't even know that Joseph was alive. In in his mind, he had been dead for a really long time. And this is in chapter 43. And he's letting Benjamin go back with the brothers, but very reluctant, only out of desperation. And in verse 14, Jacob says, May God Almighty cause the man to be merciful to you so that he will release your other brother and Benjamin to you. Because Simeon was being held up there. But may God cause the man to be merciful. He has no idea, no idea that the man is Joseph, but also that word merciful, that's the first time that word mercy in this way is used in Genesis. And it is so, it was just like such a cool thing that somehow Jacob is thinking, okay, I don't know what to say about this, but may the Lord Almighty make whoever that ruler is, make him show mercy. Cause he knew the brothers didn't deserve it. Yeah. He had lived with them. Yeah. And he knew his own past too. And so all of this is really about the mercy of God throughout Genesis. And that is the beauty of God's story. It, that it yeah. is not about our faithfulness, about our unfaithfulness, but it is about the faithfulness and the mercy mm-hmm. of God. And, and what a beautiful way you guys are about to start your last week of Genesis And I want you guys to lean in as you read these passages. I want you to think about the things that we talked about here in this episode, but I want you to lean into what you're seeing about the Lord's faithfulness. And I want you to pay attention to the words, pay attention to the phrases that are repeated. This is the end of the beginning. This is the Mm -hmm. the first book of the Bible and everything starts here. I'm really excited for you guys to lean into this. Guys, before we close... Uh, and I hate to close this. I never want this to end because Kelly, you are, don't tell anybody else. You are my favorite. This was so fun. That's not true. I it's love you. Joseph is our favorite. Really? It just makes it so easy. But 
I want to end on the beauty, goodness, and truth moment because it is always appropriate to identify beauty, goodness, and truth in our lives. And, and plus, that's just how we end our episodes. But guys, you know that when we, at the She Reads Truth podcast, we love to open the Bible and find the beauty, goodness, and truth that we find there. And we found that today. We found beauty. We found goodness. And we found truth. So, Amanda and Kelly, I want to know, of course, where you're seeing beauty, goodness, and truth in your life. And also, if there's anything... You know, because this is the end of the Genesis study. I know. What other, like, what things do you wish that we had gotten to? Is there anything else that you just feel like, this is what right. I'm leaving with? There are so many things, and it's just so hard to get all of it in. because and it you is. Can't, you can't get all of it in. But I just think that I just don't know how we can end without mentioning kind of this linchpin verse. This is Genesis 50. And before I read the verse, this is right when... Jacob has died. The brothers are all freaked out. They think that Joseph's going to start punishing them. And and it really breaks Joseph's heart because he really had forgiven them. We see that. And this is verse 19 of chapter 50. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20, you planned evil against me, semicolon. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. There's not a but and and. It's, it's you planned evil against me. And on this side of the semicolon, God planned it for good to bring about the present result. And I think what's so important for us is that forgiveness and understanding God's will in our life determines what side of the semicolon we're going to live on. Wow. Are we going to live on this side where you did this evil, you yeah. did this, th- and be bitter and unforgiving our entire lives? Or are we going to live on the other side of the semicolon and see God minute? for good. And I really believe that one of the reasons that Joseph was able to forgive and be so compassionate is because he embraced God's perspective of the situation, not man's perspective. And I know that that comes off as so, oh, just embrace God's perspective. That's so good though. And it's what we've been talking about, the struggle, but also the call as God's people to keep our eyes on him and what he's doing and not just what we can see in our present circumstances. Mm -hmm. It's like what Paul said, you know, I have been high and I have been brought low mm-hmm. and he is, I mean, obviously Paul goes on to say, I've found the secret to being content, which is that I walk with the Lord. Yeah. But even Paul found it and mm-hmm. Joseph found it. Mm-hmm. He was high. He was the favorite of his mm-hmm. father. He was brought low and he was low for a really long time. And when he was brought high again, he knew that it wasn't that he would be high forever or low again. He didn't know. But what he knew was that his constant, he knew that the Lord was faithful and the Lord was in control. Yeah. Which is awesome. So I know I asked for beauty, so goodness, you, and okay, truth. You asked for beauty, goodness, just, and truth, and I, we, I gave you more scripture. I just and, want, I well, want. She just, it just. I it, got too excited. Here's I the thing. Let's let that semicolon be our beauty, goodness, and truth for this week. I think that's the thing, Kelly, like for you to say, which side of the semicolon are you going to live on? And I think that there is, boy, is there a temptation. And we see this in scripture, the temptation to look at our circumstances and sit in bitterness. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the opportunity to look at who God is and that Isaiah 55, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways, and sit there and go, but God meant this for good. Yes. All right, guys, that is the end of our Genesis study. Come back next week. We're going to be reading Philippians. We're going to be reading about joy. Y'all walk on the side of the semicolon that matters in eternity. And guys, until then, what do we say, Kelly? Keep opening your Bibles. Keep opening your Bibles.